Hello, everyone. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. And this podcast allows people to share their stories of abuse and religious trauma in various religions and cults. Some guests come on the show to discuss specific topics to educate and bring awareness. Discussions will range from purity culture, mental health, religious trauma, Christian culture, deconstruction, spirituality, and much more. Now, let's get into this episode of Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Hello, everyone. I am so, so excited to have Deborah Grace on the show today. I discovered her on TikTok, and she has a book out called Crucifying the Bible, and she has another book that is going to come out there this year called Shackled Souls, A Biblically Controlled World. But just for a little bit about Deborah, um, she is a mother and an author who is planning to go back to school for a degree in psychology, and here is a little description from her book, Crucifying the Bible. After more than three decades of unquestioning belief and deep involvement in the church, Deborah Grace began studying scripture to better understand her faith, leading to a shocking revelation. The Bible is not true. She meticulously compares the foundational basis of the Old Testament with the writings of the New Testament and then challenges the Old Testament against itself. With the core of her lifelong identity shattered, Grace walked away from the church and pushed forward, piecing together new beliefs built on knowledge and true understanding. And she shares many of her discoveries on these pages. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I am so excited to dig into your story and to talk about your book, Crucifying the Bible, and also discussing your book that's going to come out later this year. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, that's awesome. And so you've been a part of religion for so long and were exposed to years <laughs> of indoctrination. And so what are your earliest memories from your childhood of religion and being involved in the church? Oh gosh, my earliest memories. Um, I remember being at somebody's house uh, at four years old um, with many people there and um, being baptized in their swimming pool. Um, I remember at five years old uh, wearing a little yellow polka dot dress, um, officially inviting Jesus into my heart in Sunday school. Although I probably, I may have done that prior to that. I just locked that memory in for some reason. Um, I remember um, much of my childhood was spent uh, having people over at our house for my parents' Bible studies, um, singing with my parents in church because um, my dad wrote songs and played the guitar and then my mom and dad would would um, sing together at different churches. They would travel and go to different churches. We would be up on stage singing with them inevitably at some point. For 
I remember playing Bible trivia for fun as a kid. Uh, so yeah, uh, vacation Bible schools, uh, Bible camps as a kid, um, being homeschooled for four years. So our community got even smaller at that point. So from third grade until seventh, the end of seventh grade, I was um, homeschooled. Um, yeah, childhood was just, and then every night, almost almost every single night, my mom would write would read the Bible to us, um, cover to cover, and then we'd start all over again. Um, I get the feeling as I'm older that she may have skipped over some really challenging parts. Um, yeah, but <laughs> I could go and do a few of those that are really bad, but <laughs> Oof, yeah. I get the feeling that she did. Um, cause there's some that I read now that I'm like, I would have been traumatized if I had heard that as a kid. Mm -hmm. Because we did push back and question and say, well, why did God do that? Well, why did God do that? Um, and it was always, we don't know, you know, his ways are mysterious, on and on and on. Mm -hmm. and all okay. Yeah. I see. I hear so, like uh, the thought terminating cliches that are used <laughs> to shut down those critical thinking. Like, oh, I hear it. I hear that one all the time. God's ways are higher than our ways. We can't question it or yeah. we can't know, so just believe, or, you know, we won't know that until we die and get to heaven yeah. and we can ask God. <laughs> oh my gosh, ridiculous. Yeah. Um... <laughs> You're so like, that's an was... understatement. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, here's the thing. I just realized, um, I guess probably in the last several months it, it occurred to me and I don't know if it was my own original thought or somebody else brought it up I can't remember but if you can judge God and his goodness based on what's written in the Bible then I can judge God and his evil behaviors and characteristics based on the Bible <laughs> so mm -hmm. you 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 know you you can't just push away that which is uncomfortable and not judge that. I mean, if we're supposed to know God's character based on the Bible and um, we're supposed to be perfect as God is perfect and how else would we know what perfection looks like if the Bible is the word of God, then by going to the Bible. And so you have to embrace all of the messy that's involved in that as well. Um, so yeah, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so it was interesting how you brought up your parents' response to that and them just saying those phrases to just shut down the questioning, shut down the critical thinking. Mm. And it's just, it's interesting to me because kind of like thinking of my own story I grew up in a very strict fundamentalist household and I even then as a child shocked at the things my parents would justify like I remember hearing my own dad even like when I was in college like justifying slavery because it's in the bible I was taught that interracial marriage was a sin 
growing up and that God was good and righteous and it was okay for him to commit all this violence and just all these justification of horrible things and extremist beliefs. So, but it seems like, like, did your parents ever try to grapple with those hard things in their Bible? Did they justify it or did they just, it sounds like your mother avoided it completely. Not, not completely. Um, okay. So she believed that there was some sort of a, a use for evil, like God uses evil for good. Mm. Um, and that a lot of what happens in the world is because of original sin or because of Satan. So there was always um, a, a shift of the blame. Uh, and you could never you could never pin down God for being at blame, you know, the, the cause for these things, even though he's the creator. But I didn't have the critical thinking skills as a kid to put together or question the nature of God. So I didn't really get into deep questions until much later in life, um, probably about six months before my accidental deconversion, did I start to ask really tough questions. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was, you know, I just had this naivety and ignorance that, you know, if, if I came across things that didn't make sense, I was like, well, I guess I'll just ask God when I get there and just chucked it away in that, in that file. But I, it didn't bother me until much later and it didn't, I didn't put much time and effort behind investigating those things back then. Mm, and what really caused you to start that questioning? Uh, so the first, the very first um, questioning, real heavy questioning that I did in the scripture was based around tithes. And, um, and it's not that, that it was hard for me. Um, I did it out of love and obligation. Um it always, it did cause several times in my life, it caused a much more burdensome position for me to be in financially to do it. But that's not what caused me to question. I, I did it for years in, in times where I shouldn't have, <laughs> but I, I did it anyway. And years and years and years went by before I started to question that. But what, um, I was doing a, you know, when Facebook used to have that option to write notes, right? So you could write these like kind of long articles and they'd call them notes and you title them, all that. Um, I wrote about tithing and, and when I started digging in, I realized it was never about money. Interesting. It was always about food for the widows and the orphans and the, the disadvantaged. That's who tithes were for. The two times it talks about in the Old Testament that it talks about tithe of all, it's not commanded, right? And then um, interestingly, where it says, test me, uh, don't rob God. If you go back a few scriptures, it talks about um, in context, because <laughs> that's always important, um, that you're supposed to not rob a person in his wages, right? You don't take advantage of somebody in their wages. Well, who else is doing that except for the pastors in churches with the offering plate being passed around 
when tithing is supposed to be about money for somebody else, not for the pastor to be buying planes and, you know, extra mansions and, you know what I mean? It's like, you're the one robbing of somebody in their wages. So if you looked at that whole picture in context, anyway, and then the New Testament talks about the widow who gave her last two mites. And uh, interestingly, Jesus should have been calling that out and saying, why isn't this widow a recipient of the tithes? So, uh-huh. you know, that was my first questioning. Uh, I dug heavy into the new covenant was uh, one of the other ones. And then the role of pastors was one of the, was the third one that I started my critical thinking before my accidental deconversion. Hmm. So that was interesting. Um, but I came across a, a, a series of videos that were challenging the New Testament Messiah and saying, does this match? If you look at the prophecies in the Old Testament, and then you look at the New Testament Messiah, does he fit all of those? Because if you fail just one, he's not the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Just one aspect is all it takes from not to be the Messiah. So does he fit all of them? And incredibly, he like fails miserably. <laughs> could you dig? <laughs> could you dig into that a little bit? Some of the things, like what are, and it's okay if you don't remember all of it, but like, what are some of the specific prophecies about the Messiah in the Old Testament, and then how does it not align to the New Testament? So, first of all, I'll say the Old Testament has to be the pl- the plumb line. It's the foundation for which everything else mu- is built upon, right? So if you have, and I know a lot of New Testament uh, Christians that don't look at the Old Testament with much um, reverence, Mm -hmm. but it is the foundation. So if you just, if you throw away the Old Testament, the New Testament doesn't make sense on its own anyway, but I digress. Okay. So the Old Testament prophecies uh, show the Messiah as just being a landmark in time. He doesn't really do anything. Um, It never says that the Messiah would have to be crucified, would resurrect, and that you would have to believe in him to be saved. Like none of those three key points are mentioned in the Old Testament as having attributes of a Messiah. That's only post uh, ad hoc (laughs) added into the New Testament. So you have a Messiah who is supposed to when he's there, he's supposed to usher in worldwide peace, worldwide knowledge of God, the ingathering, the rebuilding of the temple. It is the eschatology of th- that which is written in the book of Ezekiel. That's what we should see when the Messiah is here. So many of these prophecies have the caveat in that day. So if they're not split into two. There's zero Old Testament prophecy of a second coming. Um, So you can't say, oh, he's going to fit a few of these here. And then a few thousand years later, he'll fill in the rest later. That's not the way the Old Testament has laid itself out. You have prophecies that literally say, um, okay, so you go back to the book of Deuteronomy and the people in the Israel 
are, are asking, well, how do we know if a profit is really a profit? And the answer comes back from God and says, well, okay, if the prophet says something and it doesn't come to pass, then that prophet spoke presumptuously. My word is not in that prophet's mouth. You don't have to be afraid of that prophet. They're not really a prophet. Um, so there's, there's prophecies that Jesus spoke of himself that didn't come to pass. He was very apocalyptic. He says, uh, some of you standing here will not taste death until the kingdom of heaven comes back. He says, you won't even go through the towns of Israel before I come back didn't happen mm, yes times. that's something i discovered and it blew my mind blew my mind when i read it. i'm like because i reread it over and over and i'm like let me read the whole chapter am i taking it out of context and i'm like <laughs> what i'm like jesus literally told his disciples i will be back in your lifetime yes in your <sighs> lifetime and when i read that i was like oh my goodness no one ever talks about this verse in church Never no, mentioned. They, they, they will gloss over that. They avoid that like the plague. Additionally, there's an there's another time where I mean, can let's call it for what it is. Jesus lied in those two mm -hmm. times. He lied, but there's another time. Um, there's a prophecy of a Messiah that says that. Oh, guess what? Elijah is going to come back before the great day of the Lord. Okay, the great day of the lord not one of the great days of the lord elijah would be back before the day of the lord so that's singular okay so there's only one returning just one and so jesus says oh if you can accept it john the baptist here is elijah so you got reincarnation in the bible <laughs> is, that what, is that what you're saying we got reincarnation so they asked john the baptist are you elijah he says no so which one's lying is it john the baptist or is it jesus but either way john the baptist john the baptist baptized jesus into his ministry right that that kicked it off but if a liar is baptizing the messiah you got a problem and if jesus is lying you got a problem either way oops you got a problem so um yeah that the seed between elijah should come first um and he didn't <laughs> oh and after john the baptist is beheaded elijah shows up at the transfiguration so I was just, I'm like reading that and I'm like, well, that's kind of weird because if Jesus said that John the Baptist was Elijah, shouldn't we expect John the Baptist to be in the transfiguration and not Elijah? Mm -hmm. Like there's another problem. Uh, the ingathering, the temple, Jesus speaks about the rebuilding of the temple while he's standing in a temple that's already existing. <laughs> so that was weird <laughs> yeah um, and uh yeah so all these different prophecies that were supposed to happen that didn't 
And then the New Testament says, oh, well, he's going to come back. <laughs> not only does do you not have a second coming of a Messiah prophesied in the Old Testament, but you don't have a third. And I say that because his birth was his first coming. His resurrection, if that happened, was his second advent. And now Christians are waiting for a third arrival for these prophecies to be fulfilled mm-hmm. again <laughs> I mean, for the first time. Like, so you have like you, we, if you can make a case for some shadow mystery uh, interpretation to be made in some weird random scripture in the old Testament of a second coming, you still have a problem because you're not waiting for a second arrival. You're waiting for a third. That's so true. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the third kind is the third kind doesn't sound as good though. <laughs> like I, it's so I funny mean, though. <laughs> Just kidding. Three but... strikes, dude. You were out. <laughs> <laughs> and so how much does your book dig into Revelation? Because Revelation, oh my God, because that's a whole weird ass book. So Revelation to me is is yeah, it's filled with fear porn for one, but the fact that it had so much controversy surrounding it in its, uh, in the ratification of the canon, um, it was in and out and in and out. And it, you know, many, many of the church elites that were part of the canonization of the Bible thought that the book of revelation was heresy they were like this is not inspired what are you talking about (laughs) yeah and it was only like one person i want to say it was athanasius but don't quote me on that um that that said oh i want it in there it's going to be in there and and he rose to power and and Uh made it happen i see Um, and isn't there a verse in it i feel like that something saying like if you leave this out or if you discard this like you will be yeah if you add or take away from the book of revelation you'll have all the curses listed in it yeah so i think that might have played into it a little bit they're like i mean it may have but that's just that's just those are just um those are backstops and firewalls that were written mm-hmm. into scripture to make people fearful of yes. dismissing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's just, you have to, if you're going to, if you're going to keep people locked into the scriptures, you're going to have to write in threats, coercion. Yes. Don't, don't think for yourself. Listen to this. This is the truth. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, look, some people are going to fall away. Dude, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to yes. determine that some people are going to see this as bullshit, call mm-hmm. it out and walk away. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that uh, it, it's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've tried to explain this to some people. Like if I write on a napkin, this is the true religion. Does that mean it's the true religion? Or do you need, you need evidence? Oh, mm. oh, oh, you need evidence? Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> so do I. <laughs> yes, yes. And I like, I like what you were saying, how, yes, they wrote these things into scripture to lock them in. And I just 
there is this one verse that is used so much against Christians who walk away. It's like it's something like they were never of us at all. They were never one of us. It's kind of very dismissive that us versus them mindset yes. and like dismissing yeah. their experience and who they were like, oh, well, they weren't a, a true, like this is an air quotes, a true Christian. Right. They yeah, were they no never believed. Often. Yes. Well, no, I, no. Mm-hmm. I, I have a good comeback for that now. I tell them, oh. I was like, well, for one, that's a lie. So you need to repent. And if I wasn't a true Christian, then where does this falling away prophecy happen? Because you actually need true believers to have a falling away to begin with. So if you don't have anybody who's falling away, then your prophecy is null and void and we're not in the end times. So which is it? Mm. And they get yeah. real quiet after that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. And so how, how long did you work on the book, crucifying the Bible? Ah, surprisingly not long. Um, I had written for the validity of the Bible for years. And um, when I realized, oh my gosh, I think I just started a book, I pulled out all my old writings and really just um, pulled them all in, reworded, um, reformatted, and used all the arguments that I used for Christianity and flipped the script. And so that book took me about six to eight months to write. Not long at all. Um, Okay, well. Yeah, my second book, well, it was also during COVID, so I had a lot of downtime. Oh, I see, yeah. (laughs) My second book, it's been uh, over two years, it's been in the works. Mm -hmm. Yes. And like, I'm excited. Do you want to, I don't know if you can, if you want to, but I would, if you would talk a little bit about your second book. No. Yeah. It's uh, it's super apropos for the day Mm -hmm. and age that we are in with Christian nationalism uh, peaking and rights being stripped away and the, the projection that Christians have that they're the ones being persecuted, but they're actually persecuting other people. Um, so the book is called Shackled Souls, a biblically controlled society, and it's going to be, I have juxtaposed the scriptures against the DSM-5, which is the mental health handbook, if you will, and shown how all of these different scriptures, passages, characters within the Bible, um, have a big problem to overcome when we look at humanity trying to live peaceably with each other uh that is where i ground my moral compass is i want to live peaceably with others so i'm going to be a peaceable person um we know that certain things are crimes that doesn't necessarily mean they're sins (laughs) right so a sin uh is very arbitrary in that it's defined how it's defined in scripture whether it's um, ceremonial sin, whether it's a, an actual transgression against another person or a transgression against the sensibilities of God because he's easily offended. Um, and then looking at his character 
um, as a narcissist, um, defining that. And then I get into some of the, the ways in which the Bible has been weaponized against society to strip away rights from women, children, uh, the disadvantaged uh, minority sections of our society, um, alternative lifestyles, this, that, and the other. And it shows exactly how this fan club of God is turning around and being vicariously offended themselves instead of God speaking for himself. And um, so I, I get pretty heavy into, into that. It's a, it's, it's a heavy read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm excited for it, honestly. Um, but, and I also saw in your bio that you want to pursue a degree in psychology. That's exciting. Yeah, um, that actually kicked off when I met my, uh, my ex-husband, he asked me to do a young typology test and, mm. um, it just, it piqued my interest to such a degree that I was like, you know, the further I got into my, my walk in, in my faith and then coming out of it, which was identity crisis in and of itself psychology, I, I was more and more drawn to it. And then in the last two years, using the DSM-5 to write my second book has developed this, this passion, pardon me, um, to, to dig into that a little deeper. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so I, re I'm really excited. Uh, I'm not quite sure when I'll be able to, to fit mm -hmm. that into my schedule at the moment, but mm -hmm. it is going to be in my future. Okay, I'm excited for you. Uh, I'm also so interested in psychology, so um, I'm excited for that for you. Um, but I guess another thing I'm curious about, since you were heavily involved in religion, there had to be backlash to you leaving that and then coming out with this book crucifying uh -huh. the bible so could you dig if you're comfortable dig into that and your experiences after you left that environment well um yeah so i deconstructed the new testament at the end of 2017 mm -hmm. and then the first i don't know several months of 2018 i was betting the old testament and so it was, it was a process. Um, and then when I finally walked away, um, I didn't do anything. I didn't, I didn't start writing the book right away. There was a good two years where I just kind of like tried to get my equilibrium back and figure out what life looks like outside of religion. Um, I dabbled in some, um, you know, replacement theology in the metaphysical uh, in crystals and tarot things like that um and but nothing to any real significance i just i guess i was trying to find a somewhere to fit in right because you have the community of church which is nice um but they're you know you have to fit in otherwise you're 
you know, you frown upon or they want to approach you and correct you in love um, or, um, or you're just cast cascaded, you know, you're, you're yeah. tossed aside with next week's trash. Um, it, it, trying to find a community after that was really, really challenging. And I didn't know this community existed online until I started writing my second book and doing some pre-marketing online. I'm like, holy cow, there's a lot of people who used to be believers. And this is a much bigger community than I thought. Um, and I realized I didn't see a whole lot of women that were super out there talking against religion in, a, in mm -hmm. the apostate type format that I do. Mm -hmm. um, so I found that there, there was a little bit of a, you know, I could fit in that, in that groove. It wasn't saturated. Let me get in there. Um, I'm not afraid of being mm -hmm. called Jezebel or like last week, I, I, I ran into somebody that I used to go to congregation with, um, and he said, you know, the devil is using me. And I'm like, yeah, well, you'd have to prove the devil. <laughs> yeah. You'd have to prove the devil even exists for me to take that seriously. Mm -hmm. um, and, and of course, you know, this is an older fellow. So he, he's kind of, yeah, I, I in, in some respects, I hate to wreck somebody's beliefs. But at the other, you know, near the end of the conversation, he was getting real pushy and real, you know, self-righteous, sanctimonious. And I was like, <laughs> right, here we go. Let's go. And I didn't hold back. And I'm just like, okay, da, da, da. I just spewed my whole thing and said, yeah, when you can get beyond that, we'll talk. And what do they say? <laughs> he um he was like you don't think that god brought you here to to to, to run into me at this point i'm like no. <laughs> i um. yeah it's just it's just you know all these different things are uh you you can't get away from all the different excuses because there's an excuse for everything within the bible you know yes Mm -hmm. unfortunately Always. yeah and so as I want to kind of dig a little bit more into your story like I loved I love talking about all the different contradiction issues and prophecies and, uh -huh. and stuff like that but kind of going back to your story so you what I know you said you basically were your parents were like had their own I guess you would say music ministry where they yeah. would just go churches, <laughs> different churches. So like what, I'm assuming, did y'all have a home church that supported y'all on that ministry <sighs> or journey? Or how um, did that work? So my parents didn't really, they weren't really looking for a specific denomination. Okay. They were looking for people who just had a heart on fire for God. That's really what it was. And as mm -hmm. long as the dogma didn't stray too far from, you know, what the scripture says, then they, they were content and happy to continue going. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, she allowed us to go to some of the bigger churches in town. We were very rural. Um, Just because the youth group there was so big and it was it was so involved. Um, So while we were going to church with her on Sunday morning, we also were going to youth group on Wednesday night, and mm-hmm. we were also going to Bible studies sometimes on whatever other day of the week there was. So our week was full, and and the the homeschooled biblical curriculum. Hmm. So I was not taught the Big Bang. I you know I was yeah. Evolution was the of the devil. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, it you know it was they had whatever home church was um was convenient at the time like the mm-hmm. where we lived of course it yeah. wasn't too far from home mm-hmm. um but you know it was really my mom who was the most instrumental in in the seriousness and devotion that i had uh to align myself to scripture my dad was happy to write songs and go from church to church to sing them but his life didn't really reflect uh somebody who was very devout Mm -hmm. if you will um he would love to go on a soapbox with somebody who was at our house for bible study or to visit or whatever yeah and Mm -hmm. and he did know the scriptures pretty well but he didn't really live them all that well Mm. yes so, so you felt like he put on a show sure, in the ministry yeah. in front of churches and then behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, okay. I see. And I then mean, how, sorry, nobody what you in my family, nobody in my family would ever dispute that, but, but both of my parents are, are deceased now. Mm, okay. Got you. I see. I'm sorry. That's quite all right. My mom gave me the, my keys to freedom when she said mm. that I needed to, if something that I believed didn't line up to scripture, then I needed to adjust my thinking. I couldn't adjust scripture to fit my dogma or theology. So that actually gave me the keys to freedom. Little Oof. did she know that that would backfire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's interesting because I've noticed that and even my little brother has noticed that he's like yeah he's like just a lot of people make the bible say whatever they want to say Mm -hmm. to fit their own personal views or personal feelings about things and he's like you can make the bible say anything you want to if you can Mm -hmm. twist it in any way you can I'm like oh that's accurate well that that right there precludes it from being a source of truth yes (laughs) that it's exactly yeah you can you absolutely can make the scripture say anything you want to but the fact that it includes all those different narratives just shows that it's not consistent Mm -hmm. in in yes yes Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and like i even look back on my own journey when i was a fundamentalist christian and i remember being like yeah i'm like i did skip over a lot of things and I feel like cherry picking those verses that really give you that emotional high to make you feel really special like oh god really loves me blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. too bad for the other people who don't believe whatever 
<laughs> too bad it's New a supremacy lose. mindset it is mm-hmm. it is yeah. most you definitely feel like so great and so wonderful and so better than everybody else because you're a child of the most high king mm -hmm. and that ooh, no one could take that Oof. away from you oh I know I, I, I yeah. cringe looking back at the things I used to believe and even like as I've been on the internet there's some people like I I, I see their um profile bio and in, every once in a while i'll see child of the king and i'm like mm, mm, cringe well, who doesn't uh, who, who doesn't want to be who does not want to call themselves yeah the child of a god yeah mm -hmm. so true. i mean because that is that's pretty special it yes. is pretty special mm -hmm. um but at the same time you know you're gonna find other people in the church that, that are gonna say Psh, pride comes before the fall and guess yeah. what you're still a filthy sinner and guess what you're still like called a whore by god in ezekiel mm -hmm. 16 you're still yeah. and and it's like this up and down roller coaster of emotions your entire walk yes yes that's i never got that because the the contradictory messages of oh god loves you so 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 much but also, he can't stand to look at you and you and your sin. You're so wicked right. in his sight. Right. You're going to burn for eternity. You better be saved. Then you're free and you're a child yeah. of God. Oh, you're a child of God. But oh, you still sin, though. You still sin. And God still yeah. hates that. And it cuts you off from God. So you constantly have to confess and feel bad. And then, so yeah, like you said, that up and down, it's a scam. But yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's the greatest con job in history. The most popular and widely known book the best seller in history is also the most destructive mm -hmm. yes yes and also this just brought up something to me this always annoyed the shit out of me and it would people would say things like oh yeah without the bible we would not be literate because of the um the gutenberg press and that being I've I've heard like Jordan Peterson say that. So have you heard people say that? Like we wouldn't be literate because you know our ancestors learned to read from the Bible. Uh, okay, that doesn't make it right. Yes. <laughs> that I mean, replace that with Shakespeare. It could have been anything else, and it would it's have true. been something. Yes, else. it would have been something else. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. It could have been the Quran. It could have been. That's the Book what I was Mormon. thinking. It could have been anything else we don't we don't know and you can't presume to know that but it, it does it's not even sequitur mm -hmm. that's a that's that doesn't even follow logically mm -hmm. yeah yeah so yeah that that's one that always like annoyed me because it's like oh like have respect for the bible we wouldn't be literate and you know without <laughs> just really weird and it's like it's kind of like um like a one-up i feel like in a sense like oh look like it was like you know the first book that was whatever used through the gutenberg press blah 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 again that supremacist we're special look at us oh. yeah 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 it's it's i mean and this is this is some of the things that i dug into um in, in the second book the the different mindsets that are held by believers not realizing how destructive those mindsets are um you're looking down your nose and i can look back and i can 
with mm-hmm. honesty, reflect on the mindset that I had believing I was better. We didn't go to restaurants because we believed that the spirits that were filled in uh, other people might jump onto us. So we like avoided restaurants and busy places because the the evil was so thick and you could just feel it when you walked in, couldn't you? Yes. Mm. Wow. Um that is a that's a very, very ugly mindset to have that you believe yeah. that everybody else is so wicked that they're so full of demonic spirits that you mm-hmm. can't even be in the same room with them. I wonder what else happened like that in history, which we couldn't be in the same room with somebody else because of mm. fill in the blank. I know you guys know that one. Yeah. Mm. I know it's that again, like that us versus them mindset. Yes. And like so many atrocities and discriminations have just happened against minority groups throughout history because of that like like the othering it's just it's never it's never good it doesn't produce anything good it's just leads and I think it's it starts subtly I feel like at first that mindset when it first begins and then it just goes further and further eventually into extremism and then violence and causing harm to so many people and just taking we're, away rights. Oof, like we're <laughs> we're already seeing violence. People yes. are dying because mm-hmm. they can't get access to proper health care. Yeah. Because these laws don't affect you. You already follow them. You mm-hmm. just want those laws to be oppressed on other people, even if they don't believe the same way you believe. That mm-hmm. is that that othering that you speak of. I love that word othering. Um, mm-hmm. It's such a, it's such a destructive mindset, and and it's the, it's what I'm working to fight in mm-hmm. in my writing. Yes, yeah. Well, thank you for all that you do and like being a voice. And it was interesting, kind of what you were saying earlier about like being a woman. And kind of the apostate space of like speaking against religion. There's someone also I recently met and become friends with in the space. I don't know if you've connected with them already yet. Their name is Apostasy. Yes. <laughs> I yes. love Apostasy. I've been on a panel with her before. Oh, awesome. I was yeah. wondering if you had. I was like, I, I love her and like Skeptic Haven, the show that she co hosts too, is really great. Um, yeah. I don't know. Have you been on Skeptic Haven? Oh yes. Yeah, they were they, they, I think they were the ones yeah, they were the ones that gave me my first book interview. <gasps> oh, that's exciting. Yes. Okay, that's great. Yes, so that's someone else. I'm very else. loyal to them. I've been on their channel numerous times. It's great. Oh, great yes. space. Yeah, so definitely. Yes. So is there anything else that you would like to cover or talk about in this interview? I know I'm sure there's so much. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, where do um, I Right. Um, you know, I think that, that until we can really have these conversations, people who, I know there's tons of people out there who are atheists, um, agnostic atheists, um, j- even just the questioning. Until we can really pin down and have these conversations with believers and 
really dig into the problem of evil, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of uh, Christians will have this debate and, and, you know, their, their go-to speech is, oh, the problem of evil, right? You have to have God because there's a problem of evil. Mm-hmm. I love that conversation because who created evil? <laughs> <laughs> Who's the one that planted the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? <laughs> Who's the one that used evil? quote unquote for good who's the one that that sent evil spirits to king saul who's the one that sent evil spirits between abimelech and shechem who's the one that made nebuchadnezzar go crazy with evil for Mm. seven years yes you don't you don't put somebody into that kind of a state who's the one that put the children into captivity for 400 years that was god Mm Who's the one that made a bet with Satan? Who's the one that releases in Revelation chapter 20, verse 7? Who's the one that releases Satan to deceive the nations? All of these things and more. Yeah. Along the buck stops at the top, if you will, Mm -hmm. if we're going to beg the question, uh, that's God. And so I love having a conversation about the problem of evil with believers because they have to own all that you have to own god commanding slavery in the bible it's not that he just sanctioned it and told you how to do it he commanded it leviticus 25 verse 44 you shall have Mm -hmm. the slaves you shall have Mm. he commanded slavery didn't just tell you how to do it um all of these problems of evil belong to the God. And if you're going to claim that God is love, you got a big problem on your hands, at least with me, because there are definitions of what love is in the Bible. Your Bible. Love is not jealous, but God calls himself jealous. Therefore, God cannot be love. You, 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 that mathematical equation doesn't math. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So let's have more of these conversations about evil and what it says about evil in the Bible and have an honest conversation about what the God of the Bible looks like when you strip away all the flowery, pretty language. You're not left with a very pretty looking God. But those conversations need to happen. And I would hope that other people would see this interview, have these conversations, talk about these mm-hmm. with your believing friends, and, you know, in a loving way. <clears throat> but it needs to be had. It needs to be. This is the kind of stuff when belief dictates actions. And now we're seeing actions get real ugly because they're being like god they really are trying to be like god be perfect as god is perfect well god's not perfect your god of the bible is not perfect Mm -hmm. so we have to have these conversations about is this really is really the road we want to go down do we do you really mm, not i think we really should have a second 
reevaluation. Yeah. Um, even the DSM-5, to, to go back to my second book for just a moment, um, the DSM-5 acknowledges that types of religious belief are a problem. They can actually be defined as delusions. However, they do also include a caveat that engages the appeal to populist fallacy and says, well, we have a lot of culture that believes in it. So we've got to be really careful about mm -hmm. diagnosing that. And I'm looking at that. And I'm going, <coughs> bullshit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, we shouldn't be doing that. That's not what you do. When, when somebody is coming to you yelling and screaming, I'm hearing voices, you don't, we know, well, I can't say we because I'm not a professional yet, but they, they've already said this numerous times. I, I know this to be a fact. You don't engage and further the delusion by saying, yeah. oh, what did those voices tell you? Mm -hmm. You don't engage in the delusion. Yeah. But that's what they did mm -hmm. in the caveat. And so I'm like, wait, can we, can we have a second look at this? Can we go back? <laughs> I think we need to go back. Just mm -hmm. wait. <laughs> yeah. That's really what I, I'm doing in my second book. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I love that. And yeah, like our Western culture really puts religion on a pedestal and it's like something that is very taboo to criticize and so much cultic abuse and so all kinds of abuse have happened because religion is so protected mm -hmm. in America that it, it has just allowed so many people to be abused a lot of human rights issues in it because people are so afraid of questioning that well you it, it also engages a quite a lot of economic abuse in it too yes when you have children who are homeschooled so yeah. they're deprived of proper education when you have women being told they should not go to higher education because there are places in in the house yeah as a wife and a mother um you're removing people's ability to be independent mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, much of the Bible engages in identity theft because you're you're not you anymore. You're part of the body of Christ. Your mind, your heart, your body, your soul, none of it belongs to you anymore. Mm -hmm. um, you're not supposed to think for yourself. You're not supposed to go here, go there, talk about this, think about that. Everything about somebody's identity is stripped from them. Mm -hmm. um, so it engages so many forms of abuse. Um, I had a hard time finding one that wasn't there. Yeah. I don't think I did find one that wasn't there. Mm -hmm. It, I mean, there are places in scripture that tell you to beat your children. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There are places, uh, in the Apocrypha, it's even worse. Um, the abuse against children um, there's, there's a scripture in Proverbs that says that the, the black and the blue of the bruises, um, help further the kingdom of God for some reason. Uh. Um, there isn't a form of, of abuse that I didn't find in scripture. 
And that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. More to come, folks. <laughs> Wait for that one. <laughs> Oof. Yes. Yeah. It's a form of torture. Um, yes. Mm -hmm. There, there's, there's, I, I went to the Rome statutes to the United Nations to um, all the things um, and the rest of the world and their, their laws, their statutes on a world level have already determined that much of what Christians engage in, especially against um, women and their rights mm -hmm. is, is a form of torture. Forced birth was already deemed a form of torture. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. Um, a lot more to come. <laughs> Oof. Yes. Well, thank you so much for the work you're doing. And I'm so excited to see, really to read your book and also just to see you grow as a person and see all the th incredible things that I'm sure you're going to do. So I'm, I'm <laughs> thankful we were able to meet and I could meet you at this part of your incredible journey. Yeah, no, thank you. As I, as I reevaluated all of my worldviews, so mm -hmm. my politics changed completely too, <laughs> but for the good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, so thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. I, I really enjoyed being here. Uh, this has been a really great conversation. And yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I've, I've greatly Appreciate enjoyed it. it too, of course. And for people listening, I will link her book and her social media. Go follow her and be looking out for when her new book will come out later this year. And for everyone listening, this was Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Oh, yes, the cover. Yes. <laughs> the book. There's the book. Yes, Crucifying <laughs> the Bible. Yes. yes. Um, no, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. Your support is much appreciated. Please leave a review and share with friends and family. And if you can, please support me on Patreon. And the link is in my description. Thank you so much for listening to Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger.